Welcome back, boys and girls, to another episode of K-Fabe Comparisons. My name is Mr. Know-It-All, Daniel John Schaefer, and today I am joined once again by the K-Fabe crew, Mr. Jesse Baker and Mr. Wex Breaking the Loss. And Jesse, how you doing, bro? Man, I'm doing wonderfully. Little uh, Looking forward to a little recap here. Should be a whole lot of fun today. Yeah, absolutely. Wex, how you living, bud? Uh, I'm living pretty good out here, you know, just drinking a brew, trying to stay out here and avoid that COVID, you know what I'm saying? Nice, nice. Yeah, it was like almost 70 degrees today. It was a nice day. It's weird in Tennessee how shit like that happens. Oh, come on, man. Terrible. Allergies. Ooh. Yeah, oh yeah, it's been it's been pretty thick. It's been pretty rough. But yeah, today's topic is 2020, the year-end review. I'm sure you're going to be drowning in podcasts like this, but I guarantee you that this one will be a little bit different than the rest. Um, man, let's just start from the beginning, right? I mean, guys, 2020 as an overview, how are you feeling? All right. How about this? Let's start with this question. Jesse in January, could you possibly have foreseen how you're feeling right now in December? Fuck no. Yeah. There's, there'd be absolutely no way to predict anything like it. January for me was interesting because the very first weekend was my very first shot at doing commentary ever for Revive Pro Wrestling. Nice. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, you're starting out with a bang. I'm getting to try my hand at this thing that I've always really wanted to do. Super fun show, yeah. lots of good people. And then uh, we, you know, just kind of went from there. Yeah, so Wex, is that when you guys, did you guys start working together around the same time then too? No, actually, he worked the January show, and I came in on the February show just a month after. So I was pretty much feeling the same way when I got that. I'm like, holy shit, got the fucking wrestling commentary gigs. This is fucking awesome. Very excited. And then literally our next show, we got a call the day of canceled because of COVID. So, Oh, my it, God. It, uh, it came to a, scr- a screeching halt pretty quickly. So that was what? That was February when that happened? Uh, February was the last show we did. So March oh, okay. got canceled. Well, before COVID, it was last. Yeah, show. before COVID, yeah, it was the first. It was the first COVID, the last COVID-free show of the year. Sure. So, what were your what were your uh, what were your dreams and expectations for this year, Wex? Like starting from January to now, what what did you think you were gonna do in Jan- you know in January? I just figured it would just be more of the same, like bigger crap. I mean, honestly, like just all of pro wrestling, I expected a lot more. Like AEW, I expected. I mean, I went to one of the last shows that ever happened before COVID canceled in Alabama. So, like, I don't know, like, really at that point, I didn't know what to expect. I just expected a regular year full of wrestling. Like, I watched, uh, I was there when Cody got his lashes from MJF, and, like, that didn't even get to get paid off in front of a live crowd, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree, man. I, I, don't, I don't think it did either. I think it was, like, what was it, like, uh, I think we just, because that was right before the Dark Order thing was going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. was right before Brody was going to come in. Because I remember him talking about that on the Unrestricted pro- Podcast. Um, but yeah, man, let's let's talk about the wrestling world, though. January was, uh, yeah, again, like more of the same. It was popping. Things were going. Uh, I mean, at that point, um, AEW had really picked up steam from starting in October. And they were really rolling strong. And honestly, um, I was pretty pleasantly surprised by the annual Royal Rumble that happened. We saw like for the first time in a lot of Royal Rumbles, we saw like a really solid surprises. I mean, you know, MVP coming back, Morrison coming back, and then of course Edge. Man, that was like that was massive for me. Um, you know, any kind of like crazy thoughts about the Rumble, Jesse? 
I loved it, and I've the last few years I've been kind of disappointed. I mean, a lot of people dislike the Royal Rumble concept in general just because of what it is, and forearm, 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 as old Luke Gallows would say. But I've always dug the surprise element of it. I think, you know, that level of Gaga <clears throat> totally works just because of its tradition and the function that it performs leading into WrestleMania gives the stakes element, and I've always really loved it. The last few years were kind of lackluster, but this year, man, that Edge shit, it popped me off, dude. I absolutely went nuts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a massive thing. Uh, it was a massive change. And then, of course, you know, I feel like the next, the next thing on the list here has to be the, the plague, you know, the, the COVID thing happening, um, you know, we, we didn't really get far into the year before it kind of crushed everything. I, I do feel like indie wrestling was on the up and up. Uh, we were g- even getting some Evolve stuff on the WWE Network. I thought it was a really cool, um, we had kind of covered that um, during last season too. And man, I mean, once, once the plague hit, quote unquote, it was just kind of like, no one knew what to do, but at the same time, it's like all these live sports stopped and wrestling really didn't. And like, I don't know about you guys, but even, even during March, like I, I mean, even though I knew WrestleMania was going to be this weird, awkward thing, I was super grateful to have it. And those tapings that they did, like, I guess the first time at Daly's place with AEW, where it was like, really, they just shot like six hours of footage for like a, like a couple few weeks with like half their I think they only had like nine or ten wrestlers and they just shot like weeks and weeks of television um and it all ended up pretty damn good actually uh, they had a t- the tournament I'm pretty sure it was a TNT championship tournament is when they kind of did a lot of that stuff too yeah man I mean COVID boom big deal how how was it for you guys adjusting to uh, like no fans, you know, like not only that, I mean, obviously personally too, like your lives, Jesse, what was it like? I had a really hard time watching with no fans at first, but I mean, what are you going to do? It's the, I was very, like you said, I was very thankful for mania. I was definitely thankful for the weekly TV continuing, especially once it became very clear that we were going to be in our houses for much longer than we previously anticipated. Definitely had some appointment television to look forward to, which was Super damn cool, in my opinion. I also, it was unfortunate to see so many of these debuts we had all been looking forward to with AEW, and none of them really get to pay off in front of a crowd. I mean, there are so many of those wrestlers that came in that had been hyped up who literally never wrestled one match in front of a crowd before this all happened, and that was definitely kind of weird. I had the distinction of helping Southern Underground Pro throw their last show before COVID, which we had to relocate due to the tornado that happened in January. And that was March, at Exodus. Yeah, March, yeah. And March 15th, it was the day the mayor announced that we were shutting everything down. So, kind of strange timing, definitely strange adjustments. Yeah, Wex, man, what, what, did the, uh, what did the plague do to you? And how did you feel about wrestling and the adaptation there? I mean, honestly, I was very glad, like you said, very grateful we still had wrestling because everything else, basketball stopped, hockey stopped. Football is already over at that point, but, like, everything had seemed to come to a halt. Like, people were fiending to watch Korean baseball on TV, so I was well, like— we can, Yeah, I'm, dude, I'm actually—I'm glad you brought it up because we should touch on XFL, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it was the one football product that was happening, and I know it's, like, not really wrestling, but Vince did own it at the time, and now The Rock owns it. So, like, I don't know. I, like, I absolutely loved it. I loved the Me XFL. Too. It was I thought it was really successful. I watched it all the time because it was football that was on TV when there wasn't really— you know, it's that time of year. There's nothing yeah. really on to watch. Yeah. 
like I was very extremely grateful and it was very, very weird to get used to at first with the no fans. Like I just and and then WWE and then WWE's version pumping in the fake crowd noise. Like I was super weird about that until NFL started and then it was just all the time they were doing the fake crowd noise. Yeah. That really other sports that did that really made me adjust to that better, but still it was just a little bit weird because like you hear like a crowd pop for like the wrong time. And then like uh, people yeah. noticed they were using loops from like the crowd noises from the video game. Just like using that over again, you could hear John Cena chants in the background. If you listen to it good enough and he was nowhere to be seen on TV at that time. So very weird, but I was very grateful though that we still got to have wrestling on TV and it did suck that Matt literally Matt Hardy, like you were saying, these wrestlers didn't get to wrestle in front of fans. Matt Hardy made his debut like the week after everything got shut down. It was supposed to be in front of fans. Yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. That sucks. I mean, also, too, on the on the WWE side, I mean, Morrison, like, before before the pandemic, Morrison was riding a high. Like, it was a big deal that he was going to go back to the E. Every, okay. I, mean, I, I, I thought, I mean, he was, a, he was a main event guy before he, he signed back with the E, and now he's back to being where he was when he left WWE, yeah, which, which is so super different. tragic. Yeah, um, that sucks. But, yeah, I mean, I'm really glad you brought up Matt Hardy, too, because I think the next kind of headline, really, for 2020, if we're walking in a progression, is kind of that you know, quote unquote, cinematic wrestling kind of takes off. You know, we had uh, the Firefly Funhouse thing. And then we also had the, the Boneyard match, which was essentially Undertaker's last match, uh, last WWE match. And, uh, you know, I don't think any of those matches would have happened had it not been for Matt Hardy and what he was doing a few years ago. Um, so for me, I'll be completely honest, man. Like, uh, I know that I know that everyone really reviewed that WrestleMania with, uh, you know, because there's no crowd there. But I thought I thought some of the matches were great. I remember specifically the uh, the Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens match. I thought was phenomenal at the show, and it was a straight up wrestling match with no crowd. Um, and I thought they were the first people to do like during the pandemic to really really be talking to each other audibly during the match and to kind of bring that element in that we don't ever really get to see because we're so used to having, you know, crowds and, and big arenas and everything like that. You don't really hear those little, little things back and forth. And I thought Owens and Rollins did a great job, but back to the cinematic wrestling, I actually preferred the Firefly Funhouse cinematic match to the Boneyard match. I, I thought it was more like, to me, it was like, if it's going to be cinematic, I'd rather it just be really weird and cinematic. Whereas like the Boneyard match just felt like a straight to DVD, like sons of anarchy, like action <laughs> movie ripoff. You know what I mean? Especially. And then yeah. the end with the rubber hand, I was like, this is not, I remember like, I remember th like reviewing it for this show and ripping it to shreds. And then waking up the next morning and Twitter is just in love with the Boneyard match. How did how did you feel about it, Wex? What did you think about the Boneyard match and those whole like those first few cinematic matches that we got in WrestleMania time? Okay, that's one thing I was gonna get to. Like the whole two day WrestleMania thing, like was kind of weird to me. And so I didn't watch Especially the with first no takeover. Night. Yeah. I didn't watch the first night live. I mean, I eventually went back and like watched it, but the only, the one part that I remember watching live was the Boneyard match. Like I was like, eh, if it's the Undertaker's last match, I'm going to fucking watch this. And I, I kind of have mixed feelings about it. Like some stuff was cool. I like to see Gallows and Anderson in there, get their little pop. Like there was full little things, but too much cheesy stuff. Like the rubber hang, you could clearly see the wood of the back of the fake, uh, like tombstone. Like they could have did a little bit better. And and we're talking. If we're going to talk about cinematic matches, would you consider the Stadium Stampede to be a cinematic match? Absolutely. That was 
if you want to talk, that's one of the most fantastically done ones. And if you want to talk about the one of the worst ones done all year, Braun Strowman versus Bray Wyatt in the Swamp. If y'all remember oh, that. No, I agree. Okay. That was really bad. That was really bad. And it's like they, I don't know, like they do these weird cinematic cliffhangers, but don't really like WWE always leaves you on like a weird cliffhanger, but they don't really follow up. You know what I mean? They just, and that's what I don't like about theirs. But like sometimes the story can be good, but I agree. The John Cena Bray Wyatt shit was so wacky. It was, it was kind of like Stampede, just wacky. Like if you're going to make it cinematic, just go all out. Yeah. Jesse, what do you think about those first few cinematic matches and like kind of the, you know, the, uh, the adaptation to, to like a pandemic world? I've always kind of thought that WWE historically has worked better under pressure and when it comes down to the old adage that their product was so much better when they had direct competition and that they kind of thrived yeah. by having something yeah. to work against. And I think the cinematic match concept is just further proof of that. I, I Obviously, Matt Hardy was the one who laid the foundation for this stuff. Uh, you, you know, I mean, he wasn't the first person to ever do it. You could go back to things like WrestleMania 12, the Hollywood backlot brawl. Oh, yeah. I would, I would count yeah. that as even though part of it was live in the ring or whatever. But, no, it's definitely cinematic. I mean, you use the damn OJ chase for half the match. So, yeah. yeah. And then even even further back than that, there was that, uh, it was like, a traveling hay bale on a tractor-trailer match. Oh, yeah. That was, uh, Dust- the, yeah, Dustin Rhodes. The bunkhouse. And, uh, like, who it was, else was it? I know exactly the match you're talking about. It's on the back of a trailer, and it was, yeah. and he got fired, because Dustin Rhodes got fired for blading during that match, because they weren't was supposed it, to bleed. Was, was it Dustin and Bunkhouse Buck? Yeah, but it was a bell. He had to ring the bell. I remember it specifically, but yeah. I can't remember. But I mean, that to me also, again, classic example, cinematic match. There, there have been some things like that for sure. I mean, hell, Dungeon Giant, of Doom. come on, Giant. all Dungeon of Doom shit was very, yeah. yeah. Like the, the Giant and Hogan and the Monster Truck battle, dude. Oh my yeah, god, I forgot about that one. Oh my god. I will say the Mania example of the cinematic match to me was exemplary of adapting to the times and doing it in such a way that fit all of the characters involved. I thought they did a really good job of improving their ability to tell the story via the cinematic match in this instance versus what they even may have been able to do live. Let's be honest, Taker and Styles, much better this way, I truly believe. As much as I would have liked to have seen it, at this stage in the game, I definitely think that this cinematic concept was better than their live match would have been able to be. Oh, fact, for sure. That's not. Yeah, I, I agree. I just... I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, to me, like I was, I was at the WrestleMania in Orlando when he left all his gear and his hat, and the, and that should have been it. Like that should have oh, yeah. been the one. Like that, that should have been the one. But I mean, it was what it was. I don't know. I mean, you're right. If if he's gonna go out, um, the cinematic match at that point, especially with a guy like AJ Styles, is probably the best way to do it. But it just, it wasn't really for me. To be completely honest, like I've never. I mean. I, I liked the Firefly Funhouse match. Uh, I didn't really like the Stadium Stampede match. I really wasn't into that. Um, I didn't like. I haven't liked anything that AEW has done as far as cinematic matches. I have not okay. been a fan of like any of any of them at all. But yeah, man, I think that for me, uh, the cinematic thing is something that I hope doesn't last forever. I, I think that it, it's cool when you if you leave it to like maybe one character that has matches like this every now and again. But I mean, there for a while, I mean, for the first few months, it was like there was at least one cinematic match on every, whether it was AEW or WWE or whatever. Like there was at least one cinematic match on every show. And that sucked. Um, and something else that sucks, too. 
another big headline here that we got to talk about is the big talent cuts. You know what I mean? Like that was like a huge thing and it became really controversial. But I mean, dude, we had like a rush of talent. The way the exchange of talent kind of happened there with those rushes. I mean, we're talking about like the revival and Rusev and you know all, all these all these other guys that have just been all these other guys and gals that have gone to all these other companies. How greatly did that impact like the landscape of where we are now, Jesse? What do you think? The talent cut thing is interesting to note because really the only people who have cut talent who didn't have to that wasn't for an international based reason is the WWE. And they've still, you know, they've had a record year in profits. They're the only ones to have done all these furloughs. They cut so many longtime office staff. You're cutting guys like Mike fucking Kyoto and Gerald Briscoe and things like that. Like, find something for them to do. Keep them on the payroll. They got families to feed, man. They've been there for how long? And they just kind of get thrown by the wayside a little bit. I just thought that was a little whack. And they're saving millions i'm sure in production by staying at the facility that they're in versus touring and having that entire crew all those motherfucking people aren't getting paid because there's no work any of the gig workers affiliated with touring wwe live events and stuff so i just didn't really see the need for it in in a lot of ways as far as the talent cuts that surprised me the good brothers surprised me mainly because if you're looking at their involvement in the boner the (laughs) yard the boneyard (laughs) match it was kind of a thing of, man, I could see somebody finally paying attention to them and putting them in a good spot. If you look at the rest of the cuts that were made in conjunction with that, I could be wrong about this, but I don't believe – was Rusev part of that or was that a – Yeah, he was part of it. He was yeah, definitely. he was. I mean, I know, I know the revival wasn't really, but I mean, I'm just saying there was a lot of talent exchanged all around the same time. Some of them were For cuts, sure. some of them were releases, but still, like – But a lot of them – a lot of the talent really didn't surprise me all that much. If you're looking at Cardona and Kurt Hawkins and fucking EC3, I, don't I mean, know, man, I don't know. I, I mean, Zack Ryder was a shock to me because he was such. I mean, he was. They put him all over everything. They put him on radio spots. They put him on TV spots. I mean, he, him, and he's like a Mattel spokesperson. And they care a lot about toys. They had that whole podcast thing going on. I know they got to keep it, but originally that they had, you know, it was supposed to be a WWE Network show. I think it was a WWE Network show, and it became a podcast. Um, but yeah, to me, that's shocking. I mean, I thought for sure, I thought, I thought Ryder specifically was going to be a lifer. I thought they would keep him on the way they kept like brawler on and just kind of give him interview spots and send him as an ambassador and that kind of thing when he gets out of the ring. But I mean, yeah, it was, it was shocking to me for sure. It struck me, he strikes me as being classically misused by then throughout his entire career. I mean, there's a couple of really bright spots, but if you Bear in mind the amount of time he's been with that company. A couple of bright spots is kind of bullshit, especially for a dude that can work, that's in great shape, that went and got himself over yes, on the def- internet, one of the first people to do that. It just it didn't surprise me because they haven't been using him well from Jump Street. So I, you know, that's kind of why that didn't. But alas, the independent contractor argument is interesting, which we we should probably cover a little later into this once yeah, we get we'll into get there. We'll get there for sure. Things. Wex, what do you think about those talent cuts, the exchange of talent? Where are you at on it? I definitely thought it was bullshit because, like Jesse mentioned, they're the only company out of all the wrestling companies that release people, and they made more money than they've ever made, like, ever. This I think this is, like, their most profitable year they've ever had, something like that. And, oh, I, know yeah. I, wow. and I know it probably has something to do with, like, these big contracts they sign with Fox and all their Saudi money and, like, probably some shit tied up in that, but... 
Yeah, it was definitely disappointing because Good Brothers, like, not only were they involved in that boner yard match, got bon- bone yard match, boner yard match, whatever. I'm thinking of talking Chopamania. We'll get there too, but uh, yeah, we will. Uh, they just signed a big ass contract, like, re- like, few months before that, like, because AJ Styles, like, oh yeah, massive before, contract, like, yeah. And like, they were doing the whole OC thing, and like, I thought, I just thought they were like being pushed, and it was like a thing yeah. that they were going with. Like, I had yeah. like. That was like the biggest surprise out of all of them. But like some of the other people, like you said, like like Eric Young, they hadn't used him in forever. I was so glad to see him be able to go somewhere yeah, else. For like, sure, yeah. He, they hasn't like ever since they broke up Sanity, they haven't done shit with him. And like he's another one of those NXT casualties where like Sanity was cool as hell in NXT. They had a cool thing going. You bring him to the main roster, and it's just no one gives a fuck or knows what to do. But yeah. some of those people definitely made sense, especially him, Leo Rush, because he had heat. And he's since been able to do some shit. But, yeah, I kind of agree with Jesse. So, like, most of those people made sense. But it I, it was kind of cool in a way, like you said, because we got all these people finally got the opportunity to go do things. Like, especially everybody who went to Impact. Like, that was, like, the best thing for Impact was that talent release right there. That just that boosted the company up so much. But I guess we'll get eventually get to that stuff in here in a minute. But I thought it was bad but good in a way because it was cool to see people go other places and get other opportunities yeah well i mean honestly i feel like um before we get there i know we were talking about i didn't want to get too personal with leo rush but here is a very personal segment here seth rollins and the most over wrestler when 2020 opened was becky lynch but seth rollins and becky lynch are having a baby so it's like uh you know you're essentially your first ever female stone cold on that kind of level i mean she was that over for sure um now is just gone um you know the man becomes the mom like that's kind of a that's kind of like a tagline that they were using and t-shirts and all that kind of thing um i think that that really did shake that division i think that that was a really big thing that i mean if you really look at the women's wrestling i mean granted we did have a pandemic i'm not i'm not negating that but like I'm talking about the quality of work and the quality of booking and matchups that we've seen in the women's division, especially on the WWE side, really drastically changed when you took Becky Lynch out of the picture. It still kind of feels like it's a scramble and there's no real long-term plan and they're going month to month, special to special to just see where shit lands. Uh, Wex, what do you think about the women's division, Becky Lynch being a mom soon? Okay, the whole thing, I think about that. WWE basically the reason they're in that predicament is because they based too much their women's division around Becky and another person who went away for most of the year, Charlotte. Like or Ronda Rousey, <laughs> or and like everything was based around them. Like so yeah. that's why they've struggled to figure stuff out. They they basically tried to have Sasha Banks and uh, uh Bailey, Bailey carry the whole thing, which yeah. they they they've done the best they can, you know. Yeah, like, which they, they tried, they, yeah. They, they put on some good matches in Asuka. It's like those three have been the ones that have been trying to yeah. carry the division, but the booking's yeah, just yeah, kind of three. like – the booking is just like all over the place. They break up teams that don't need to be broken up. They just do yeah. like – they're just scrambling because they in, they put they put too many eggs in one basket, as you say. Just You can't have too much emphasis on those just few people or you're going to end up like that. When they go away, you're not going to know what to do, and that's yeah. clear and been evident this whole time. And COVID especially fucked up. It basically fucked Rhea Ripley because they had the whole thing where Charlotte won the belt, went to NXT, and then lost it and didn't put anybody over. And they the whole thing came out now like, oh, because we had more plans, but COVID fucked it up and she went away. Like, they fucked up NXT and the main roster single-handedly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The women's division specifically with both of them. 
Uh, Jesse, what do you think about that? I feel like that the only reason why I bring up so, something so personal is because it does seem like a strong like turning point as to when the women's division in all of WWE really changed. What do you think about that? You know, Becky Lynch leaving and, and all that and everything that's happened with the women's division since then. I couldn't agree more with Wes on the prospect of the of WWE just not taking the development of anybody other than their top tier. The people they identified that had gotten over leaning into that equity and not building towards the future as much as they probably should. Now, saying that, a lot of people could point to NXT and say that they are building towards the future. However, that whole roster seems hopelessly mismanaged at the moment as well, and it it seems like the match quality to me has suffered for it. Yeah. Not it, in the, I love a lot of the talent that's down there, but historically what we've seen is a lot of really great talent who used to put on really great matches have put on some of their worst, which you kind of can't blame them because the entire environment around this whole pandemic situation, obviously way fucking different than any circumstance anybody has ever worked under in history. So yeah. it's one of those things that is kind of strange. And when you hold it up to the women's divisions of other companies, I've said this many times and I'll stand by it. I really do feel like impact has the strongest women's division. AEW though had an opportunity to kind of take the spike there and just simply did not. And I, it, they, they've suffered for it up until the NWA women's title kind of started getting involved in their picture. They really had nothing to write home about. So it's been interesting to see how that entire thing has developed. And it makes you wonder if other companies have made some changes and adjustments based on what happened, seeing Lynch leave the company and maybe focused a little less on the development of that division, just out of Southern idiocy. But see, I don't see, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, at least not for some of them. I'm really glad that you brought up like women's divisions in independent wrestling, especially in impact, because I feel like another main story, at least the one that I wrote down, uh, that kind of gets swept under the rug, but is the whole Tessa Blanchard mess, man. I mean, oh. she was she was the world champion in Impact. So to me, it's not so much like these Southern people, like, you know, like not one. I mean, obviously they were, that company was more than willing to put her over in the highest possible position in their company. Um, and she shit on them for it. Uh, well, at least at least for all intents and purposes, right? I mean, like, I, again, like, I don't know her. I feel like on this show, we try to make it very clear that we're never, ever damning or demeaning anyone as a person but we're literally looking at their professional um you know what what they did professionally and professionally here i i don't know how else you cut it other than tessa blanchard fucked impact straight up right like i mean not only that but like is she signed with wwe but she's not now she's living in mexico still with her husband like when we started this year she was literally a world champion breaking barriers in a men's division and now it's like Nobody even knows what the hell is happening. I feel like this is Paige in 2016. Um, Wex, what do you think about this whole thing, man? I think it's just a, a shit show because, like you said, they literally she's they did something no one ever, no one else has ever really done in any yeah. other major promotion. And no gimmick. one talks about that shit. Like, what is the happening? Only other promotion I can think of that had a women's world title was Lucha Underground, and it's yeah. a lot of the same, a lot of the same wrestlers on Impact and AEW actually that were on that show, but. Still, and she, I think she might have been on Lucha Underground, if I'm, might be wrong, but still. Like, why would you do, like, they should have, if they were going to do that with somebody else, they should have did it with someone more deserving, like uh, Jordan Grace on the roster, somebody like that, you know, or Deon, even Deanna Perrazzo, somebody more deserving and more, I know that's not really their gimmick that they're fighting guys, because she, you know, is doing the whole Sammy Callahan thing, but 
It just sucks. Like it's. I mean, you give the devil her due when it's when the bell rings and she's in there. She's no, fucking great. Like, yeah. Like you said, personally and like not personally, but how she conducts herself professionally. Because yes, you know, yes. there's count. Like it's not just that we've heard count all the countless stories that she's had over the years. AEW didn't even want to fucking touch her. They're like, nope. We we'll sign your dad, but we're not even gonna go anywhere near you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Jesse, what do you think about the whole Tessa Blanchard mess, man? I think initially some of this was blamed on rumor mill pandemic stuff about her going to Mexico and not making her shots. I didn't believe it then, and I definitely don't believe it now. If your 205-year-old father can make it to Florida for AEW shoots, then you ought to get your healthy young ass down to fucking impact tapings is all I'm saying. But it was a controversial decision on impact's part at the time, and a lot of people felt like they were grasping at straws. I think that was kind of a lot of the scuttlebutt going around the wrestling community was impact's trying to make a shock or something like that. I truly felt that they truly felt she deserved to be that barrier-breaking athlete. And Agreed. For whatever their shortcomings might be about judgment in terms of her professionalism, you know, all that be damned, in the ring, like you said, bell to bell, she's got the talent and it's there. It just sucks to see that whole thing happen and then immediately get shit on. And I cannot help but think that it was simply compounded and really ultimately went south because of the internet, Twitter, stories coming out about her which happened around the same time that a lot of the cancel culture stuff started coming out around about a lot of people that's yes yes that's actually literally the next thing on my list so jesse baker before you get too deep the speaking out movement has been like almost wrestling's version of the me too movement where we've had a lot of guys exposed uh, and some women exposed too i'm really glad that you were there so if you want to just kind of continue your thoughts there and pitch it over to wex I think that with the speaking out movement comes a lot of clarity and a lot of sadness, but so much information that was ultimately extremely necessary for the business. And don't get me wrong, several talents who I have previously supported through buying merch or going to see or specifically buying tickets to witness, a lot of them got caught up in this. And it's still, I'm glad to see that somebody was willing to actually be strong enough to come out and start talking about some of this shit. I couldn't pinpoint the the definite beginnings of it, but I do feel like it started in indie wrestling much more so because indie wrestling at this point had skyrocketed to this point of popularity where you have all of these companies running these huge shows and the names are running parallel with all of the other companies because you have a lot of NXT talent that are appearing within a week or two after doing a show in Chattanooga. You know? Yeah. That that level of crossover really hasn't permeated that much since the territories, I don't believe. And it's completely different now because these people can have their own businesses and things because of the advent of the internet and that kind of e-commerce scenario. But when it comes to the speaking out movement part, a lot of people felt inspired by the first few people that got reported. And when people are coming out and giving all these testimonials and things like that, you really have to take a hard look as a company and say, do we or do we not want to condone this this sort of behavior? Do we or do we not want to allow this talent in our in and around our locker rooms? And then it became this waterfall that definitely permeated through the upper ranks of every company that I can tell. No, totally. But moving on, I would like to say that I do think that the pandemic specifically kind of put all of these companies almost on a level playing field for a while. It's like when you tune into SmackDown, you're seeing an empty, this is before anybody, you know, like there's before there's even, they have like, you know, the NXT talent around the ring. There's just nothing there. So then, you you know, you look at AEW, you look at WWE, you look at Impact, and it's literally all the same. You know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah, it definitely was for a little while. It's like no, yeah, nobody had the advantage because when, when they were in Georgia filming in that little like smaller area that was yeah. very reminiscent of what Impact's doing right now. Like you're right, nobody really had the advantage. And then once the regulations started to die down, is when you kind of saw things kind of take take off for like certain companies and stuff. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, I th- I think that you know just just being able to almost start fresh it's like without okay without the pandemic you're never going to get to a point where wwe doesn't look better on tv because they're going to be in a sold out arena every single time and i'm not even saying that the aew wasn't pretty much doing that as well but they were smaller it was more like you know aew to come be municipal and you know wwe would be at, at you know bridgestone arena yeah bridgestone yeah i almost said gaylord Weird. Gaylord, hey, same thing. Yeah, hey. but you know, we're all national natives. You know how it goes. But yeah, so like, but that's what I mean. Like, I think that this pandemic really put all those companies on an equal playing field. And I really feel like AEW has skyrocketed because of it. I really feel like this, I mean, dude, like, honestly, if the plague is good luck for anybody, it's been great luck for AEW. Because it's like, you know, they start their show in October of 2019. And within four or five months they're literally on a level playing field with the wwe and they start really kind of climbing up those rankings jesse how do you feel the the pandemic has kind of impacted the 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 level of how a casual viewer views wrestling whether it's impact or or aew or wwe i definitely think that people can sort of draw their own conclusions about what happens inside the ring a little bit easier without the mask of the wwe's global brand buying power when it comes to crowds and tv time and things like that aew had already positioned themselves to be a contender in that race by a lot of different things the biggest thing about aew to me personally that really made them stand out in all this were the ethical decisions made by the company They didn't really let anybody go that they didn't have to. They acted on a lot of the speaking out movement stuff that happened way sooner than a lot of other places did. And not only were they keeping people employed, but they continued to find inventive ways to try it. But they were the first ones to really try having a little bit of a crowd, whether it's the the other talent from the back or what have you. And they made a lot of innovations in that way. I thought that they really proved that they had the sensibility to be a company on a global scale throughout this and made, in my opinion, many, many, many better decisions than the WWE. Yeah, I agree. Wex, what do you think about that, man? Yeah, I totally agree. And like pretty much with everything he said, and I think they definitely had an advantage once they, once they, once we got out of those first few months of the pandemic and things kind of started to like kind of get to where they are, how we are now, like once they started to be able to film from Daly's place, like just, the environment and like just how it looked looked way better than the performance center in that tiny little yeah you know, area like the sm- it just was yeah. a lot smaller and daily's place just looks a lot better they had like luckily their own you know the owner of the company owns a fucking football team and that's attached to the stadium like yeah they definitely had the advantage in that aspect and like the same thing he said like they were the only company well even though no, even impacts they were continuing to signing new talents and they're one of the only companies like doing innovative ideas like on cody's uh his, his open challenge when he was the TNT champion, yeah, like yeah. having like random indie wrestlers come in for one shots. Like when Warhorse came on, like I popped super hard for that shit. Yeah, that and was he cool, was like yeah. one of the only people that didn't get a contract that did one of those one off shots. Like Ricky Starks and Eddie Kingston end up getting signed. Like, well, to be fair, he didn't really perform well in the match. I mean, the other guys did. And if you no, watch the match, there were, there was some obvious spots that he just I mean, didn't. It wasn't that bad. I'm just, it's, 
Oh, it's not that bad. Listen, I'm not shitting on Warhorse. I'm just saying, like, I don't think he's at the same in-ring level as Ricky Starks is, to be honest. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they're on the same, like, I mean, Warhorse has only been in the business for, like, two years, maybe, well, right? Saying, like, That's why I'm saying it's not that bad. Like, Ricky Starks is, like, I don't know how how long Warhorse has been in the business, but I've seen him, I've definitely seen a couple of his matches, and they're always fun to me. But just Yeah, for sure. That, just, just the fact that AEW gives someone like Warhorse the opportunity totally. To come out on live TV with a with your own fucking entrance video and your own music, like totally. If I was like, if I was him and I never got signed to a big company, like just the fact you got to come out on fucking TNT, Amazing. like headbanging to your own music, like and you get totally. to wrestle. I mean, WWE would never do anything like that. He would be called Jobber Number Two from. Well, he'd be local Jobber Talent Number yeah. Three. You just get fucking squashed by Braun Strowman. Like you would, they never give like random local re- or indie wrestlers opportunities like that. I think that's fucking awesome. No, I agree. I agree. I think another like major headline here, and we've kind of danced around it for a while, but I think it's kind of the, the idea of the independent contract. I mean, you know, we're talking about like these guys that you bring in these, these independents that come in for these one-offs on TV or whatever, but like the idea that these wrestlers um, for WWE for what? 40, 40, 50 years now have been always considered independent contractors, but at the same time, they're, have exclusivity like clauses in their contract, which doesn't really make sense. Like if you can only work for one person and that person tells you when and where to be, you are technically an employee. You're not a contractor at that point. Right? So if that's the case, then give them the benefits, give them everything else they need to have. But this whole like third party thing, as far as the Twitch streams, um, or even like making their own pro wrestling tees, like, merch stores with their real names and all, all that kind of thing. I, I don't know, man. It, it feels weird to me. I, I don't know what the right answer is. I feel like this is kind of similar to almost like the NCAA type thing. But to me, it's like, listen, th- these are these are independent contractors, right? So you're paying Xavier Woods to be Xavier Woods. But like, I don't, I, I mean, does he does he have to give a cut of up, up, down, down to WWE? Or did he just get it under the radar? Like, I mean, I don't know what's going on with that. But I feel like, it, it seems like they're so inconsistent in, well, it's okay for Woods because he's been doing it for so long, but now it's not okay for you, Paige, because you're showing too much cleavage or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, what the, what the fuck is happening here? Jesse, what do you think about this whole, like, third-party restriction? How do you think this is actually going to end? I think it is going to wind up being a completely different kind of statute. I think there's going to be a solve that people do not expect uh, at the end of the line. The difficult thing about ascertaining the status of somebody's employment, whether it be an employee or an independent contractor, or what they refer to as a statutory employee, which has is a long, complicated situation. A temp. And yeah, sort of. And but but you would extend it. It's actually because of their length of time that they performed that specific service for that specific company. They get extended the same benefits and things that would be extended to other types of employees with that company, where we sure. obviously have not seen that. The biggest thing is follow the dollar, which should surprise no one. But the the largest impact of this really comes down not even so much as benefits and travel costs and things along those lines. It's really taxation. Right. When it comes down to who pay who pays your FICA tax, who pays all of that stuff, the entire burden of that is on the talent if they're considered to be an independent contractor. However, I learned this from listening to another thing that happened this year, quick segue, in March, the launch of ad-free shows, 
Conrad Thompson's immense podcasting empire of a network. I was a subscriber from Pod Father Patreon. Good Lord, it has, it got me through a lot of the pandemic, frankly. So I suggest to anybody who has not subbed or checked it out or anything yet, go take a look. But one of the cool shows on there is called Wrestling with the Law with their gimmick attorney, quote-unquote, Michael Dawkins, who basically is every wrestler's trademark attorney and has negotiated all these contracts and things like that, that deals with this issue specifically and basically describes states are starting to change what they consider the classification standards for independent contractor employment and regular employment. As those states change, California is one of the top ones on the docket that is now reclassifying what they consider those things to be. And they may, for any company that does not follow suit, say, we're not going to throw your shows, which would throw a huge wrench into the system of something like a WWE once we get back to the point that they're traveling. Now, yeah. the effect that I see from that isn't necessarily that they're going to make everybody please. I think it's kind of maybe going to go the other way. I think they're going to start trying to get creative with how they negotiate third-party deals. The biggest thing about that is demanding that someone contribute. Basically, Up, Up, Down, Down is a good example, but not a great example because it started so early. And for a lot of the early parts, Woods was using a production team that WWE lent him while he was on the road in order to get it done. So I, I have the feeling he had kind of already, instead of giving them a cut, was more getting paid. Yeah, but I mean, Ryder had started doing shit like that almost 10 years before and had gotten shit on. And he was doing right. everything on his own. So it's, that's what I'm saying. It feels very selective because it's not like Woods was the first person to have this big, successful YouTube channel. That was not the case at all. Like, Right. No, not at all. But it's just one of those things where I think as it evolved and they saw the attention that it gave the company and other third-party opportunities for the company to advertise their brands, like say – since it sure. was so niche okay. to video games, obviously, every time there's a WWE 2K video game that comes out, it gets hell oppressed through that channel, which has a hellacious amount of subscribers that are specific to that brand. So yeah. it, it makes more – I mean, I understand why it happened. I understand how that developed. Now, when you're getting into people's Twitch accounts, Cameo accounts, things like that, and that falls against the IRS classification – of what an independent contractor is when you require that they basically give all of that income to you, generate it all through you, and then get a piece of it in return. That right there alone is a huge factor. So there, yeah. there are 20 different IRS classifications, and obviously we won't go through them here, but it's worth looking up. WWE falls into the employment status of well over half of them. Well, personally for me, I think it's going to end up being more like uh, I think you're going to see more pro wrestlers get contracts similar to professional athletes where they are paid. They can't go play for anyone else, but they can do endorsements or do their own third party thing like Twitch streams, whatever, completely on their own. Uh, but I do also think like, uh, for example, I don't know if you guys know this, but like uh, professional athletes like Juju Smith-Schuster, um, he's he can't he's not I mean, he I mean, OK. No one's going to enforce this for NFL, but, like, he's not supposed to be wearing, like, he can't wear his jersey while he's, like, you know, playing Call of Duty online on a stream. He's not supposed to be. That's why That's stuff. why when you see NFL but he could wear like, But he could wear his buddy's jersey. He could wear, like, you know, like someone else's jersey or wear well, a throwback or whatever. Colors, because I know exactly what you're talking about. That's why in commercials, when you see players, they, they're not, they have, like, a fake They'll have like the same colors, like a almost like their jersey, but it's not the same thing because legally they can't show you can't they can't show the Steelers brand because 
They're not contracted yeah. to do it. So I get exactly. I know exactly what you're saying. Same kind of thing. It's the same kind of thing. But for example, like you know, Juju Smith-Schuster wants to wear a Julio Jones Atlanta jersey because he yeah. loves Julio Jones. He can. Like that's not. Uh, and it's all on brand. And he could have all of his logo stuff be black and gold like the Steelers. That's all fine. Um, and I, I. That's what I'm saying. I think that we're going to get to a point where. That's what's going to happen. I think more wrestlers are going to essentially sign uh, because, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, a a lot of states have NFL teams, right? So these teams have the same kind of like they have the they have the the utmost high profile independent contractors. You know what I mean? Like these guys are signing the biggest endorsement deals. They're making the most money per game. Um, You know, I, I, I don't think that wrestling is going to change the legal process of whether you're an independent contractor or an employee while NFL players are like, hush, don't make a stink about it. We're okay. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't think that's, I don't think that's where the buck stops. Uh, But yeah, let's just keep it rolling here, man. Like a lot of big things happened this year. Another one of the major issues that, that, that happened this year is, you know, Roman Reigns finally became the guy that, we all wanted him to be. I feel like that's noteworthy. I mean, the dude's been pushed for, for years and years and been booed. And now he's finally embracing the heel thing. And I think that this is something like, okay, I want to bounce this guy's more as like a theory because we've, we've been talking about Roman Reigns quite a bit. So let's say, let's play a little, a little role playing here. Jesse, let's pretend that in 2015, that's when the pandemic hit, right? So, John Cena is still the face that runs the place. He's still the guy. But he's being booed out of the building. People are tired of, of same old, boring, stale John Cena. If everything changes and you have all these empty arena shows, is this when you pull the trigger and turn him heel? Because I feel like that's the only reason why they actually pulled the trigger on Roman Reigns. Jesse, how do you feel about that? I don't know. I Reigns, to me... Should have been a fucking heel from Jump Street. And Cena doesn't come off to me that way so much. And I guess Reigns, in his own little way, was heel-ish in the initial debut of The Shield and all that shit. But, I mean, come on. They, they were obviously getting pushed to the moon. The Cena thing, I think the important thing where they have failed with Cena historically, and the main reason that Cena gets booed, isn't so much Cena and his role as that white meat babyface. It's that they have not really been inventive or creative about giving him that big, bad opponent that actually creates heat with the crowd. So there's not there's not really anything that – like, who cares if John yeah, Cena shits on everybody. Randy? Yeah, I mean, who gives a shit if John Cena beats up Randy Orton for the 1100th time? Nobody cares at this point. <laughs> it's just not one of those things. But if you get somebody who gets real heat – the Miz is probably one of their biggest heat seekers in terms of actually being able to generate that kind of thing, but he isn't big fucking strongman built the same way that Cena is, so that's kind of not really the best matchup by any stretch of the imagination. You need right. a monster heel with charisma with somebody like, I don't know, a Heyman who can really get the crowd to the point where they fucking hate them and they want to see them get absolutely crushed, and then you give Cena the ball the ball that he's good at running with, let him do that, and you get genuine cheers and genuine good feelings out of it. I super, I, I very much feel. I just don't so, okay, think. So, that, so, okay, so you don't. All right, so then you don't think that Cena would have pulled off a good heel in the later years, then? Especially not. I mean, I think I, I kind of think the opposite. If you're going to heel turn Cena, I think the only reason to do it is to do it when you have live audiences. 
because I that, honestly, I think that you could elevate so many more babies and increase your merch sales and do all kinds of crazy shit. The reaction is going to be insane if that happens. Imagine if Hulk Hogan turned heel in an empty arena. Nobody would give a fuck. That's fair. That's fair. That's a but I still feel point. like uh, okay. But saying that, I don't. I mean, I don't think that. that I don't think that's really fair to the at least the Roman Reigns analogy that I was trying to parallel with because I do feel like that guy was busting his ass on a regular basis and was selling merch and there were people in the arenas. It wasn't like a downtime for the business, really. I mean, honestly, the, the, it's been worse in their ratings since the pandemic than it was when Roman Reigns was on top. Uh, but Wex, how do you feel about Roman Reigns? Do you think it was a good switch? How do you feel about if they had... You know, let's let's play that same game. If if in 2015 the pandemic hit, there's no more crowds, there's no one there to cheer Cena. Would that have been a good time to turn him heel? I kind of agree, like Jesse, because he was like you got to have a crowd for someone like that because he was such a good guy that no one would would expect that. But for someone like Roman Reigns, we've been booing the hell out of him, and he's pretty much been booed since the beginning. Pretty much ever since they basically, I was there. I know the I can pin, can pinpoint the exact moment when Roman Reigns lost all of his momentum and everyone started to hate him. 100%. It's actually Nashville, Tennessee, Clash of Champions pay-per-view. He was scheduled to wrestle, but he got a hernia. Couldn't wrestle. Scheduled to, he was like supposed to wrestle Seth Rollins. It was right after the Shield broke up. And then he was out for a while because of that injury. And then when he came back instead of them like you know, slowly building him back up. He was boom in the main event, like get from the get go. And everybody was pissed. They're like, what the fuck? Why does he deserve to be in the main event? And then ever since then, it was just like, everyone just fucking Buddha. I feel like that, that was the pinpoint. I mean, the like, moment was the Royal rumble. It was the Royal rumble before WrestleMania Bryan. 30. Well, everyone, dude, I don't know. Every, I feel like everyone wanted Daniel Bryan. Everyone wanted Daniel Bryan. That's really, honestly, 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 eliminate Daniel Bryan. If Daniel Bryan isn't on a hot streak, people still to this day love Roman Reigns. To this day, if that I, never I still, happens, I hated Roman Reigns already at that point. So maybe for like the masses, but that that clash of champions was, I think, the the, the starting point of it. But I do I do agree. Like when The Rock was just looking like, are y'all serious? And then his interview backstage, he's just like. You can tell how pissed The Rock was about the booking of that. He was just fucking heated. But, yeah, I like you have to have a – like for John Cena, you have to have a crowd. But for the, the Roman Reigns, I just don't – he hasn't been around long enough to – like you can think about it. He long Cena, 15-time champion. Like, oh, you know, I, like – I agree. Look, I agree. Although I do strongly – Roman Reigns does not hold enough prestige for okay. us to care. Okay, but I th- I do think that the, if there's a time, if there is a time when you're not selling shirts at every single arena, and you and because Cena like okay, so this has I mean this has been well documented at this point, but when he came back with that thugonomics thing, like he wanted to have a run as a heel Cena, and and Vince was like, no no no, if you want to go out and do the thugonomics thing and get a pop, that's great. But he he said he even said like in an interview, he was like, I tried to cut a heel promo when I was out there, like. I tried to be like a heel, like to get because that was the same WrestleMania for um, the for Taker, right? Or was it the one before that, or the one after that? That was when he did Elias. That's when he beat up Elias. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I I think I honestly think that we've been we've been gypped by not getting that heel that later heel Cena heel run. I loved original Thugonomic Cena. Whenever they like slowly, randomly kind of turned him what he is today, like there was never a true like face turn. He just kind of started 
having like I'm a fake guy in the army gimmick shifts at some point. It just didn't make any sense. But I loved Hill scene. I would love to have that shit back. That'd have been great. I, I also think there's a whole other thing. You gotta th- think about the tippy top topest guys in the history of the WWE in Vince Jr.'s run. Okay. So probably, I mean, I guess really starting with Hogan. Yeah. How many of those top guys did not initially come in as a heel? And eventually, after they got the crowd so hot at them, so hot at them, so hot at them, made the flip over to a face. Because yeah, really. you, I cannot name one except for except Roman Reigns. No, Hogan came in as a heel initially, too. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, you're yeah. right. His early, his early run, he was a heel. <laughs> when he came from the AWA, he was a heel. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. But at the same time, too, like, you can look at the—you could, you could argue that they've tried the same—I mean— they tried to do it with Stone Cold to make him a heel. They tried at 17 to make him a heel. And honestly, that those later runs, like, I'm talking pre-Cena Rock, but, like, the later full-time Rock runs, the early 2000s Rock, he was a heel when he came back as Hollywood. Like, I, I yeah. would love nothing more. Okay, we first of all, we need a superior babyface in WWE for this to happen, and we don't have that right now. There's not a real true absolute baby face it's not drew mcintyre i love him to death but he's not the guy they need a true mega baby face and then bring cena back heel as hell like that would be amazing even if it's just like uh, you know one program yeah one program one program heel as hell cena i would love it and then at the end of at a wrestlemania lose the match do the job and then embrace your you know do the, your WWE thing where it never mattered to begin with, and you're all just loving each other, and it's all it's you know what I mean? Like it's all, we all we're pulling back the curtain. Like who the fuck is that face? I don't, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. But there's some. I'm saying maybe I honestly think they're waiting on someone. They're waiting on someone because I mean, The Rock's I, gonna wrestle Roman Reigns at some point. That's gonna happen. Yeah. He's, he's, he's just waiting for the arenas he to come could back. Be that baby face. Big E could possibly be that baby face because he's super over it's with possible. the crowd. It's possible. He's great. I, I, I could, I could see that. He's a contender. Um, I can't. I'm trying to think of anybody even else from, de, man, from developmental. Maybe, maybe Damian Priest eventually. I don't see him as babyface though. I see him no. in more of a heel role for sure. But mm. he does get over with the crowds. He's. A I good mean, like cat. a true like Walmart babyface. Like, yeah, don't yeah, watch yeah. the prog- program regularly. Like, you just know WWE. This is the guy, the good guy. You know what I mean? Like, I, it, it fucking eventually could be. Fucking Pat McAfee, but apparently they pull him off TV. <laughs> well, no, he's a transnational heel. heel, bro. That dude cannot be anything but Ric Flair. That is who he is. Like he is just that dude for sure. But while we all ponder who the next mega baby face could be, let's keep it rolling here with the headlines, man. And I don't want to bring it down too much, but we have to talk about just the sad passings that happened this year. We have to talk about it. Um, it's it's one of those things. Um, we'll start with kind of the, the first one that, that really shocked me. And that was definitely Shad Gaspar. The story with him and his son, uh, was monumental. Um, I mean, dude's a true hero. Everything that you heard about him too. Granted, the guy was never, you know, a a 10 time champion or anything like that, but you know, he, 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 he left his mark for sure. People remember who he is and who he was. Um, and us, especially being like deep fans and, and, you know, I'll say it, we're deep marks here. We listen to all the interviews and, and you don't hear a bad word about Shad Gaspar. Uh, I mean, a lot of, a lot of other guys just kind of, I mean, road warrior animal out of nowhere. Uh, of course the rocks, dad passing Howard Finkel, 
um, Kamala. It's just been, and then of course, you know, the Strange inventor of the Royal Rumble. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pat Patterson, of course. Of course, we could talk about you know Tracy Smothers as well. Um, I, w- I do want to specifically talk about um, the Japanese star that that got essentially bullied online. Hannah Kamara. Yes, Hannah Kamara. I feel like that's. We, we we need to take a little bit more accountability for how we are, and that's why like I don't mean to be an asshole, but you know we try to make it we try to make it an entertaining show here, guys. So we're letting it all out, we're letting all of our emotions out, and for the fifth time on this show, I will say whenever we attack someone, we are attacking their product. We are not attacking them as people. I think that's very important for me to say. I think it's very important for people to understand that because it's not cool to just shit on someone for no reason, like. We're not burying these people. They could be fantastic people. We we try to stick to as much of their in-ring or like backstage reputation as we possibly can. And to me, this tragedy hit home really deeply for me just in my life and having people that I've known close to me, uh, you know, lose sleep over opinions of other people and cause depression or even harm to themselves it's a sad thing, and it needs to stop. Wexley, how do you feel about the passings this year? Um, you know, we'll get to the the more major one later, but but um, but this one specifically was heavy. Yeah, that's been that's pretty rough, and like people just like they don't understand. Like, yeah, it's funny, you know, maybe to make fun of somebody online and talk shit, like, but they don't understand. Like, some of that shit can be really detrimental, and clearly, this shit right here, clearly, it hit her hard. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and like, I mean, not to mention Kylie Ray, who's like essentially yeah. left the business because of it. Yeah, it's like it's it's pretty disappointing because the people that are doing this are adults who definitely probably should know better. Yeah, and I know probably some people who do shit like this that probably that you know should know better too. And it's just sad people just you know immature and will never grow up and can never you know think. I don't know. It's either immaturity or they're just stupid. Yeah. Well, no one wants wants to hear people preach but jesse what do you got to say about uh this whole bullying thing i just feel like it's a, it's a symptom of insecurity and a symptom of uh using social media as a way to attempt to develop your own and here's a shitty wrestling term that really shouldn't exist but clout and yeah. it, it, people trying to get followers and following you know it's such a serious manifestation where people consider because somebody is in their view, a quote unquote celebrity that they can take it or that they should be used to it or that that's part of the gig. And I mean, people are people, man, human beings are human beings and nobody deserves the level of scrutiny or harsh, stupid bullshit just because they open up their Twitter account and look at it in the morning over something as trivial and silly as a reality show to make that into something where you berate someone and consistently it's just, I mean, it is the definition of bullying. It's something that I think a lot of people have fought definitely should not exist. And if you're a person that participates in that, then I think you're a fucking asshole. Yeah, I agree, man. And then we talk about just like the, you know, the sad passings that just regularly happened. I mean, obviously we touched on the Shad Gaspar thing. Um, You know, I mean, that's a huge tragedy. Um, I hope my thoughts are and prayers are literally always with that family because that's heavy, especially as a dad. I can't imagine, I can't imagine that that feeling. Um, but if we're if we're strictly talking about you know wrestling business and personalities, Pat Patterson, that, that's that's a mind that's that you can't really replace. 
um, what he's done for us, what he's done for wrestling in general. I think that he's one of the godfathers of what we all view as modern professional wrestling. Um, even, I mean, from you know, from way back to Ultimate Warrior to Hulk Hogan and against, you know, even even now, I feel like you still would see influence in in his his career, um, even from guys like, you know, the Young Bucks that never actually worked with him. There's still there's 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 something there that he's done to literally change the mold of what a good match is and what a good match isn't. And I don't think you I mean, could could you leave a bigger legacy overall on the full business than Pat Patterson? No, I absolutely don't think so. I think it, it's as much as I'm not the biggest fan of every decision WWE has made. It, it's kind of inarguable that the largest influence on the business modern day is Vince McMahon Jr. Um, I'd say the second largest without any shadow of a doubt whatsoever would be Pat Patterson. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's I think he's a strong number two and the most influential brain in professional wrestling in at least my lifetime. Um, Wex, anything else you want to say about Pat Patterson, man? I mean, literally, like all everyone's favorite modern pro wrestlers today, like such like, for example, The Rock, if there was no Pat Patterson, like we would never have The Rock as we know. hundred percent. He literally, I know, I know, I know for sure. He literally like told Vince McMahon, like, you gotta, like, like, dude, you gotta, gotta see this kid. Yeah, he's a thoroughbred. Like, yeah, he personally like recommended him to Vince McMahon, and like he's worked with like literally every star legend that I mean, Shawn Michaels, arguably the greatest it, of all time. I know. There, there's like, no HBOK okay without him. H, like exactly one of my in my top five, Shawn Michaels, probably number two. Like, and and another one, Stone Cold Steve Austin, like. So many people, yeah. like so many people, like, like without him, we wouldn't have pro wrestling as we know it today. Yeah. Gotta love Pat, man. RIP to all, I mean, everyone that lost their lives during 2020, we, we've all been stuck at home. All, every loss has, has hit deep. Um, of course, you know, we're our year in review and we're getting towards the end of 2020, uh, especially in our coverage here. And we got to talk about the biggest shocker of all. Uh, we got to talk about Brody Lee. Um, the man was 41 years old. Everything that you ever hear about him is nothing but five stars. He was a five-star human being. He was a five-star man. Uh, he was a family man that loved his kids, that really, like, obviously taught his kids to be great people. Taught, I mean, his, his wife, Amanda, has been phenomenal and way, way more open with wrestling fans than she has to be. Um, way more um, forthcoming and way more, like, just open to everything and she doesn't have to be i mean it's th there's just so much good to say about him the, the lives that he touched uh the, his actual product i mean his wrestling was top level one of the most underutilized men ever of all time big men of all time ever possibly one of the most uh agile and athletic big men ever um i mean so sad to be 41 years old and to just randomly lose your life um, you know, thoughts and prayers to his family forever. Hopefully, you know, in the next 10 years or so, we'll see Brody Lee Jr. Um, but Jesse, what do you, I mean, how do you process this Brody Lee thing, man? It's difficult to, it's, it's not, <clears throat> it's not dissimilar to things like, I remember when somebody like Orion Dunn died, although that was of his own volition yeah, in, in yeah. a way, but there, there are certain people that you get attached to through the screen that almost feel like they're your 
your buddies in a way, or you feel like yeah. you know them based on what you read, yada, yada, yada. The outpouring of affection for Brody and his family in the wake of all this was just the most telling story of a man who had literally nothing but positivity and virtue to offer. You don't hear anyone say he treated people badly in the locker room. Yeah. You don't hear the vets say that he was inattentive. You hear everybody say, oh, he was just, he was constantly asking questions and trying to spend time and trying to learn. And no wonder he was so good because that's yeah. the attitude you have to have. He completely killed it on the indies. He completely killed it when he got to NXT. He completely killed it in the WWE. Series of missteps, unfortunately. However, they did or did not choose to use him, notwithstanding his ability to go and debut in AEW and be one of the biggest things to talk about. I mean, the Being the Elite tribute this week, if you haven't seen it, go check it out on YouTube. It, it Just a compilation of him with the Dark Order guys on B, on BTE. And it's it's... I mean, obviously, you're going to tear up, if not cry, but it's also very heartwarming and hilarious. I mean, it's an insight as to the, the, the difference of how this guy can be on screen and what yeah. he was truly capable of doing. Yeah. And the only thing I can say is I, I, I hope the best for the family in what is an impossibly difficult time. And kudos to AEW for allegedly, by all accounts, treating the family so fucking well. Yeah. During all Signing this. his son, essentially, to have him on the payroll. Hundred percent. The I rest mean, of his life, essentially, that's amazing, man. I mean, it's it's insane, and 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 rest in peace to the big guy, man. That's yeah. uh, it's immensely tragic. Wax, how do you feel about Brody Lee, man? It sucks. It's it's definitely heavy. Like it's, I can almost like, I think I've alluded, I've maybe said something to you guys earlier about this, but it, like it kind of reminds me back, like when Eddie Guerrero died, because it's someone yeah. that you just saw on TV, someone you've watch for years you've seen live yeah. you've, you have like like jesse said you've watched them you have an attachment to them and then they're dead suddenly yeah like no explanation like you know like of course we finally get an explanation later like you know but when you first hear that you're like what yeah no like i like i just saw this dude on tv like re- like no there's no way like it just it hits differently when you like have that attachment it's just like ugh. like when i saw it like, because I've had, you know, of like, of not even wrestling deaths, like other deaths that have happened like around this time this year. And then like that hitting at the same time. Yeah, it was definitely heavy. And like, as Jesse said, like, if you watch that BTE thing, like you're going to laugh and you're going to cry because he's, yeah. he's like, yeah, I've never had a dad, but like, he obviously was like the model father to be Yeah. from everything that I could see and read from like, apparently what everyone said and like. That's great that AEW is gonna, is gonna basically, like you said, sign his son to a deal at eight years old. And I've heard stories just like they said, this like the wife and the son have been backstage like recently, and like everybody really knows what was going on. They were just keeping on the down low, and like apparently, yeah, they, like uh, Brody Lee Jr. is gonna book a match for tonight. Yeah, which is I think is pretty cool. He's gonna get yeah. to book a match. They're hopefully they're probably gonna have him on there, like. Yeah, that shit. Yeah, really this comes sad. out on Saturday. We do record it on Wednesdays. We record it right before AEW comes out. So we haven't actually watched the tribute show yet, but we all three are going to do that. But let's end this thing on a positive note, man. Let's talk about the new things that have happened. Let's talk about how uh, the business is going to grow. Um, there's headlines saying that this next upcoming Royal Rumble is going to feature some actual fans along with a Thunderdome vibe to it. I'm interested to see how that works. Any thoughts on that, Wex? Have you have you heard any reports about that? What do you think? 
I have heard that, and they're running Florida, which, you know, Florida is where AEW runs, and they have, like, a little bit looser regulations in most places. A little so. bit looser. And I think they might be able to make it work. It'll be kind of maybe like how they did the NXT Capital Wrestling Center when they had fans yeah. kind of mixed in with, yeah. the, like, the LED boards. I assume it would look something like that. And, of course, anything to make it a little bit more exciting, sure. I'm all for it. Yeah, absolutely. Jesse, what do you feel about, uh, you know, moving forward to 2021, man? I mean, I'm... I don't know what their facility is going to look like or anything. I think that I've seen them advertising the Thunderdome for the weekly shows a whole lot more lately. So I guess they aren't getting so many people to register. Maybe I'm not really sure, but I look forward to seeing you know, a lot of the talent that they pulled up in front of fans, particularly if I look at a guy like Keith Lee, I want to see him on a main roster level against main roster guys in front of fans. And I, there are many more people to apply to that than just Keith Lee. But I definitely think that he's kind of at the the top of my list for something along those lines. I don't know how many surprises they're going to be able to pull off this year just due to COVID and things along those lines. But um, I'm hoping that hoping that 2021 is a better year for wrestling, the wrestlers, the talents, everybody involved, the companies, fans, and just everyone. Because this is sort of what I live and breathe, and I love it, and I'm hoping it gets better. Yeah, man. I think we all are. I mean, we've got some up and ups here coming on. You know, Sting and AEW is a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how how that's going to pan out, uh, but there's. I think there's a lot to look forward to in 2021. There um, is. Yeah, you know what? AEW and possibly yeah. whatever they do. Oh yeah, Don Callis and everything. Omega. Omega and Kenny Omega being. I th- feel like um, I feel like we're gonna see a uh, Ultimo Dragon kind of vibe from Kenny Omega here shortly, and I'm fucking here for that for sure um but yeah that's gonna wrap it up for us guys man this is the final episode of season two next week will be season three there's gonna be a little bit of differences here there you know like some some new visuals some new audio um and you know what to be completely honest i haven't even formatted season three yet i don't even know what we're doing next week guys but you have to tune in it's the debut episode it's the first episode of season three be sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. I will let you guys know if you have listened to shows before. We do a lot of nostalgia shows here. So if you leave us a five-star review, all you have to do is in, in your review, if you want us to cover a nostalgia show, just leave the name of the show. Leave the year and the name of the show you want us to cover, and we will throw it in the rotation. We will make sure that it happens, and we will give you a shout-out to do so. Leave us a review, five stars. Hit that subscribe button. Jesse, where can people find you, bro? I am on Twitter and on Instagram at Jesse Baker Nash. Facebook, the regular old ass Jesse Baker. And uh, I wish the best end of 2020 to everyone. It'll be 2021 by the time you hear this, but fuck it. Best wishes for the end of 2020 anyway. Woo! 2021, let's go. Wex, where can people find you, bro? You can find me on YouTube and Instagram at Wex Breaking the Lawson, Twitter at Wex Breaking the because Lawson wouldn't fit, and Wexley on Facebook because I'm trying to stay a little low key. So if you know me, maybe I might accept it. But uh, fuck 2020, it's been bullshit, but we did get some good shit. So let's hold on to the good shit and that momentum and ride it on into 2021, and fuck it up if it tries to fuck us up. Right. 100%. That's 100% facts, man. You can always find me at Daniel Daybreak on all social media platforms. Be sure to also add at KayFabeCom, K-A-Y-F-A-B-E-C-O-M. I will tell you that season three is going to be epic, man. We're going to make some cool 
fucking shows coming up this next year. We've got a lot of cool plans. We might do some video stuff. We've been talking about a Patreon. We've got some dedicated fans that maybe want to get on a Patreon, get some bonus content in here. Maybe they throw us some uh, shows to cover. Maybe they throw us some, uh, you know, things to cover. Maybe we could do individual profiles on wrestlers. Who knows? Who knows what's in store? We'll see you guys next week, though. We're out. Peace.